0: Thank you.
1: Welcome to this informal meeting for members of 12-Step Fellowships who are interested in recovery through the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Alistair and I'm an alcoholic. To set the time for this meeting, I'll read an extract from the preface of the big book. Because this book has become the basic text for our society and has helped such large numbers of alcoholic men and women to recovery, there exists strong sentiment against any radical changes being made in it. Therefore, the first portion of this volume describing the AA recovery program has been left largely untouched in the course of revisions made for the second, third and fourth editions. The section called The Doctor's Opinion has been kept intact, just as it was originally written in 1939 by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, our society's great medical benefactor. At tonight's meeting we will start halfway down page 30 with the paragraph beginning we alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking and Tim will work through the text paragraph by paragraph pausing for questions. If you have a question please use the raise hand function in Zoom or you can message me through the chat function and I will ask Tim directly. We will try to close around the hour mark and with that I will hand over to Tim. Tim.
2: Thanks. Good evening, everyone. Just going to share the screen. There we go. So we alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. Um, all of us felt at times we were regaining control. Um, but by the way, at this point, I think it's maybe sensible to recognise that control means over both aspects. The having the first drink, and then how much one drinks after the first drink. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control. Uh, When you're sponsoring people, uh, they always, not always, very often will say, yes, but there was that one time in Lanzarote when, and try to sort of hold that up as grounds for doubting whether or not they're alcoholic. And of course, uh, if you've got, a, if you've got, um, uh, let's say you have a nut allergy, and you only ever, you only have fatal anaphylaxis like once every fifty times you have peanuts. You're not in any better position than someone that has it every time. It's like that with alcoholism. Well, I, I only put myself in mortal danger, you know, once a fortnight, so what's the problem here? There's, if you've got it at all, you've got a problem. So those, those examples never, are never relevant. Which, le- which led in time, control, which led in time to pitiful and incompe- incomprehensible demoralisation, P-A-I-D. My sponsor says you have to pay your dues Uh, Once those dues are paid in the form of PAID, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralisation, then you might be ready for the programme. I think that's pretty good. And the reason that's that's so relevant, whilst you've still got any fight in you, well, you're going to fight, probably. Uh, What does Bill Cleveland say? An alcoholic is someone who's lying in the gutter, but has a plan. While you still have a plan, well, you know, good luck. We're convinced to a person that alcoholics of our type, again, this notion of types, uh, and it's only our type that's relevant, are in the grip. Of, and sometimes we can say in a sort of way, well, maybe you're a different type of alcoholic. Um, uh, it, those are uh, rarer than hen's teeth in my experience. These sort the of mythical, almost mythical other types who are like us somehow, but can exercise control. One occasionally comes across and, anyway over any considerable period we get worse never better i think that's true sober as well um just looking I'm just looking at who's here uh what well, one does sometimes sponsor people with 20 or 30 years of sobriety who uh, require an awful lot of unpicking to even get to the baseline that newcomers are at it's like you've got to find your way all the way back out of the maze that you've gone through sober before you can even start to listen. Uh, newcomers, I find, are much easier to sponsor than people who, ne- who' read the big book 37 times and have done the steps. It, it's an by the way, it's an interesting question. If you son asks you to sponsor them, they've got some experience in AA. You say, have you done the steps? I'll take every single one. Every single one says, I've done the steps many times. That's the phrase. I've, done, I've gone through the steps many times. Now, there, there's one of, one of two outcomes. Outcome number one is, they, is you say, well, let's just check one thing. Did you complete every last amend? Uh, and the answer is usually no, in which case we haven't been through the steps once. If you, if, you, if, you go to Ed, if you undertake a journey to Edinburgh on the, on the uh, east coastline, but you haven't gone through Berwick, I don't know where you ended up, but it ain't Edinburgh. If the step line hasn't been completed, the steps haven't been done. Uh, occasionally people do say, I have completed every last amendment. Very often the amends list turns out to have three or four people on it, or three-quarters of the people are crossed off by a sponsor. Now, sometimes sponsors legitimately cross people off because there are... Um, it, it, the, the Step 8 was grandiose, but very often sponsors will also cross people off because they're an X. There are some sponsors that say you don't make amends to exes, you don't make amends to things a long time ago, Don't make amends if they were very, very upset because they don't want it raked up, and suddenly you have no amends left. And you can say, I've completed the steps, I've completed amends. Um, very uh, the the, the remaining category of people that genuinely did complete like a whole load of amends. Then you say, How many people are you sponsoring now? Answer is usually none. When was the last time you sponsored 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago? So the steps if one doesn't remain in step 12, one, one isn't, you know, the the, the fact one's been through the steps is history. It's history. And one, I, I, I find if I let the foot up off the gas, there have been periods when I've, although I've had lots of sponsors on paper, there's hardly anyone calling me because they're all through the steps or stall. And I start to deteriorate. So this is the point here over any considerable period, we get worse never ever better. The image, I think, Alcoholism is like being on a down escalator. You've got to be walking up pretty briskly to be going up at all. If one's standing still, one's going backwards, one's going down. And I think that's true drunk or sober. We're like uh, people who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other people. We have tried every imaginable remedy In some instances, there has been brief recovery, followed still by worse, still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there's no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. Despite all we can say, um, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they're in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, They will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. Uh, I'm just going to look at my computer, see if I can find the Mary Mann test.
0: It's rather annoying let's have another look marty man that's why I cannot find it there we go right i'm gonna de share this
2: and share the marty man test i'm not gonna read through the whole thing because it's uh, it's long
0: But where is it?
2: Right, so uh, Marty Mann uh, was one of the first female members of AA, and she's a very interesting character. I won't go into the full details. Uh, but I'm going to read some of it out. So this is a thought experiment. You, it's, it's not a good idea, I think, to actually tell people in AA, if people are still drinking, maybe, you know, uh, uh, drink thoughtfully and see if, you know, try and stop and see what happens. If someone is in AA, I'd be very, very loath to tell them to go and have a drink. But you can give them this thought experiment and, uh, and thought experiments can be just as powerful as actual experiments. Um, there is a simple test which has been used hundreds of times for this purpose. Under even an extremely heavy drinkers should have no trouble in passing it, whereas an alcoholic, if able to complete it at all, could do so only under such heavy pressure that his life would be more miserable than he thinks it would be if he stopped drinking altogether. The chances are hundred to one, however, against a true alcoholic being willing or able, willing or able, interested to undertake the test. The test. Select any time at all for instituting it. Now is the best time. For the next six months, at least, decide that you will stick to a certain number of drinks a day, that number to be not less than one and not more than three. If you are not a daily drinker, then the test should be the stated number of drinks from one to three on those days when you do drink. Um, And this I love. Whatever number you choose must not be exceeded under any circumstances, whatever. Uh, And this includes weddings, births, funerals, occasions of sudden death and disaster, unexpected or long-awaited inheritance, promotion or other happy events, reunions or meetings with old friends or good customers or just sheer boredom. There must also be no special occasions on which you feel justified in adding to your quota of the stated number of drinks, such as a severe emotional upset, or the appointment to close the biggest deal of your career, or the audition you've been waiting for all your life, or the meeting with someone who is crucial to your future, and of whom you are terrified. Absolutely no exceptions, or the test has been failed. Um, And so you give people that little experiment, so uh, just, try for, imagine trying for a year to have a double whiskey every night at 6 p.m. whatever your tipple is um uh, and people people's lips curl in horror when you suggest this and i i understand why because the physical craving would kick in and it's almost intolerable it as as she says it's easier to stop altogether uh than it is to conceive of that management of drinking. So back to the book, let me just reshare that. Here are some of the drinks we've tried, uh, methods we have tried. Drinking beer only, limiting the number of drinks, never drinking alone, never drinking in the morning, drinking only at home, never having it in the house, Never drinking during business hours, drinking only at parties, switching from scotch to brandy, drinking only natural wines, whatever they are, agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job, taking a trip, not taking a trip, swearing off forever with and without a solemn oath, taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums, accepting voluntary commitment to asylums, we could increase the list Ad infinitum um, an interesting point if you uh, uh, I, I notice this a lot with with alanons it's very easy to spot it with alcoholics doing this but with alanons what what's going on and usually in my case as, a, as an alanon it's pulling big levers in my life thinking finding very very big things to change on the basis of if I change this big thing then I'm, I'll be all right everything is going to be all right then and um someone i kn- i know who came from an alcoholic family every week um she'd phone up and say i've had a massive realization i need to dot 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 and then explain the 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 the, the large life changing modification she wanted to make and she never she never fortunately did any of them um but the it it's a similar it's a similar Phenomenon, I think, trying to change anything but the thing which is the actual problem. We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar and try some controlled drinking. Try to try to drink and stop abruptly. Try more than once. It will not take long for you to decide if you're honest with yourself about it. It may be worth a bad case of jitters if you get a full knowledge of your condition. As I said, mental thought experiment just as good. For most people although i have to say um it's often the case it's only when a sponsor slips and has a nasty shock that they then become willing um and that's an unfortunate that's just unfortunately true though there is no way of proving it we believe that early in our career drinking careers most of us could have stopped drinking so this is this this um uh fantastic beast of the potential alcoholic that Bill talks about, which is a red herring for a reason I'm going to say. But the difficulty is that you alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who show definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. Here is one. Now, the reason it's a red herring, let's say you're having trouble with your drinking, but you can stop for a while. Uh, in the very early part of my drinking, I discovered I could stop. I, I did that to stop for a, a, a three months at one point. Uh, in, my, in 1990, if anyone remembers 1990 I stopped for three months. Um, and because I stopped for three months, I thought, this was all right. I can stop. Because I could stop, I don't need to stop. So I'm going to start again. So the only thing that stopping temporarily achieves is continued drinking. If, by contrast, you later, like a year later, I tried to stop again, and uh, and, uh, about a year and a half later, I tried to stop again, I couldn't. Now, because I couldn't, the um, uh, result of that was continued drinking. So either way, you're going to continue drinking. So whether you're a potential alcoholic or a real alcoholic, there's going to be absolutely no difference in practice. You're going to be down the pub. And at some point, you'll flip, as I did, from one to the other. And, and, and now you're really stuck. So this is the point. There's, 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 it's, uh, it, this notion of the potential alcoholic is, I think, irrelevant for our purposes. Um, a man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but that so he, he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatsoever. He made up his mind that until he'd been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man who remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to a belief which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, presumably that means either moderating or stopping, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust, though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. The two elements of our, the main two elements of alcoholism: the physical craving which condemns me to drink after the first drink, and the mental obsession which takes me to the first drink. Those aren't enough to be willing to go to any lengths to stop drinking. I'll tell you why, unless you're very smart and very self-controlled. At the back of my mind was the notion, yeah, okay, so I get it. I can't go through the rest of my life drinking the way I'm drinking. The game is up, fine. But does the game need to be up today? Maybe the game could be up tomorrow. Maybe if things get just really itchy and scratchy sober, maybe I could, I could have a little blowout, have a little slip, have a little blowout, come back and try again tomorrow because, well, we don't shoot our wounded, do we? And the newcomer's the most important person in the room. And I'll get my little desire chip, get my little round of applause get yeah, oh, it's lovely, marvellous. Uh, and most people, frankly, are not going to have a disaster on the night that they drink. Um, you know, when people recount stories in their drunk logs, they're not saying what happened every day. They're saying what happened on the few occasions they can remember. Most days, uh, you get drunk. It's not very pleasant necessarily, but there's no drama. The only only thing which got me to uh, give up drinking forever today and to commit to taking all actions necessary um, in order to do so was the notion that I might not come back from the slip. And that's the lesson of the man of 30. Just because you came back before doesn't mean you're going to come back this time. And... Uh, Pretty much every slipper you ever sponsor uh, will have the reservation. But I could, could, basically they cost, and I did it myself, I costed out, like a cost accountant, I costed the slip and decided that the, you know, the loss of a few days or weeks of sobriety off my, you know, time, uh, it was actually worth it but to have a blowout. Uh, And I can come back when I decide to come back. And of course, that's the that's the error. One can't guarantee that. Um, Every attempt failed there, a robust man at the time and went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us believe that if we remain sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here is a man who, at 55 years, found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a, a short time uh, as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, uh, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. um Some people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think. Oh, Seamus's question: Do we know who the man of thirty was? um the, There are long, complex things by historians about this. um I think it's. An, I'm from memory. It's an amalgam of two people. But anyway, it, it wasn't like one of the early members of AA or anything like that. Uh, I think it. I. Uh, that's it. There's a. There's a a book called the common sense of drinking or something I think the story comes from there I may be wrong but anyway you'll have to get a historian for that Uh, young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think that they can stop as he did on their own willpower we doubt if many of them can do it because none of them will really want to stop and hardly one of them because the peculiar mental twist already acquired will he can win out so this is the paradox we talked about earlier people can stop don't want to so don't the people that can't stop can't so don't same position several of our crowd men of 30 or less have been drinking only a few years but found themselves as helpless as those who've been drinking 20 years to be gravely affected one does not need necessarily one does not necessarily have to drink a long time or take quantities some of us have Um, This is particularly true of women. Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and have gone beyond recall um, in a few years. Certain drinkers who would be greatly insulted if pulled alcoholics are astonished at their inability to stop. We who are familiar with the symptoms see large numbers of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere, but try and get them to see it. I'm not going to labour any of those points. Um, a good question should we treat people who slip with less coddling less understanding i don't know um
0: in early aa
2: it was in one of the pamphlets where it said if you go and drink you are deemed to have resigned from aa membership having rejected what we offer words to that effect <laughs> um, i i this is entirely speculative um i suspect that i'm people i think people are very well meaning but i suspect people are frightened of communicating difficult truths to newcomers in case the newcomers stop liking them I might be entirely wrong on that, but I suspect there's a tiny little bit of fear there. Um, uh, and, uh, you, you do. The, what's the evidence? Um, sometimes you'll hear people say you shouldn't mention steps in meetings because it'll frighten newcomers. You shouldn't mention God because it'll frighten. You shouldn't mention this. You shouldn't mention that. It's going to frighten newcomers. Of course, the danger is once they discover. What well, if they can read the scroll or hear how it works? I mean, you're delaying it, you're not delaying it much, are you? Like two minutes into the meeting and hanging up on the scroll is mentioned of God. But anyway, people say we shouldn't mention that, it's all frighten them off. Um, uh, I the, the encouragement when people come back, I think it is perfectly valid. Um, but sometimes the uh idea is given to people that they can leave and come back at will. And if it doesn't work out this time, well, there's always next time. But there may not be a next time. That's the thing that isn't if the message were communicated more clearly, I think there'd be less problem with the um uh diverting the attention onto the newcomer. Something that something that, that Clancy says, I think there's a psychological truth there. He says it's perverse to give people more attention when they're failing than when they're succeeding. So when people are doing, like, people who are six months sober, one year sober, in the middle of their step nine struggling with it, you'll never get a meeting So, say, well, let's change the topic of the meeting to step nine to help Susie and Bobby who are struggling with their step nine. That's never happened. So uh, but newcomers, very often they'll shift the topic so something directed at newcomers. So what we're saying is once you've got a certain way in, well, Buggy, you have to find your own way. But if you, can't, if you slip and come back, you're gonna be the centre of attention. Um,
0: when I was new,
2: this won't surprise anyone, I was disruptive of meetings. I don't know if any of you were disruptive. I was disruptive. I found the biggest meeting I could and i disrupted disrupt it and there was scraping of chairs and making snorting noises from the back row, um, having panic attacks, running out, running back, getting people to follow me out and cosset me, is that a word that would it or coddle me? And One day, I I, I miscalibrated. I tried it once too often at Pont Street, which is very large. At the time, it was a very large meeting, 6 6 p.m. Monday evening in Knightsbridge. I tried it once too often. I created some scene. I rushed out like Ophelia and waited on the steps for someone to follow me. And I waited and I waited. I looked to see if there was nothing. No one followed me. So I had to, and I was, it was a bit cold, so I went back in. And I thought to myself, well, that doesn't work anymore. And I never did it again. So, yeah, I think there are questions there about um, uh, giving people more attention when they've
0: slipped. Um, I'm
2: not quite sure where we stopped. Where did I stop? Well, I'll go from there. In, our, in the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remained sober for a year or more, become, and I did that, becoming serious drinkers again later. Though you may be able to stop for a considerable period, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. We think few to whom this book will appeal can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making their resolutions, most of them will in a few weeks, that's all plain. For those who are unable to, to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We're assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. There's there's a sort of circular argument there. It's basically saying whether or not you can stop depends on whether or not you can stop. And I'm not sure that takes us any further. But what it does indicate is that for those people, the spiritual basis is therefore the only answer. Um, So it's axiomatic that being able to quit on a non-spiritual basis is uh, contained in this idea uh, of having lost the power to choose. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or wish. How then, shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction whether they are one of us? Um, By the way, my friend Bruce in AA who died a few years ago. He was a good friend of mine in the 1990s said, Never ever use the phrase one of us in AA. He said, I belong to so many deviant subgroups that could mean anything. So anyway, I think here when they say one of us, they mean alcoholics. Uh, the experiment of quitting for a t- period of time will be helpful, but we think we can render an even greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity or sorority. We shall, so we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking. But obviously, this is the crux of the problem. Now, I'm going to mention this at this point because I'll forget later on. This is a red herring. When you aggregate, when you put together all of the mental states that are described that precede a relapse into drinking, they have nothing in common with each other. Nothing. You've got Jim, um, who's having a perfectly ordinary day, and thinks something which is untrue about alcohol, if you mix it with whiskey, you'll be okay. You've got Fred, who's had a lovely day, um, who thinks something true about alcohol, a couple of highballs with dinner would be nice. So the two mental states we've got so far are falsehood and truth. So as long as you avoid any situation where you're thinking something false or something true, you're fine. How does that get us any further? Oh, well, just avoid both of those. Then it talks about people with parallel trains of thought, parallel with our sound reasoning, ransom, insanely trivial, So now, so you have to avoid thoughts which are false. You have to avoid thoughts which are true. You have to avoid having two thoughts in your mind at the same time. Then it, the, the crux is this. You say, well, maybe I should avoid thinking altogether. Then it says, maybe he doesn't think at all. So uh, we're no further ahead. There is no, there is no, mental state that precedes the first drink which we're going to discover there's no single one uh, and this is the the uh jiggardness of the whole thing is, is uh there is no state in which you can guarantee s- safety which is why you need the higher power what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? Our first example is a friend we shall call Jim. Now, before we get into this, if you are going to, if you think about your own experience of relapse, Or you think about sponsees who relapse or people you know, your home group, who are are frequent relapses. Well, I don't know about your experience, my experience is that that, uh, very often, it's perfectly evident that someone is gonna relapse. Because, well, in my case, I was an absolute basket case. That's how everyone knew. And this is very very commonly the case. Uh, If you go to your home group and you, uh, have a, a glance across at the people who are, are not really doing the program. Uh, there might be a few dysfunctional behaviors or outbursts or stroke. There's, st- there's clearly stuff going on there, right? They're not the people who are necessarily um, the most tightly wrapped. But the curious thing about this, about Jim's story and Fred's story, is they specifically choose, in Jim's case, someone who's doing pretty well with no major external problems, no major internal problems. And we've got Fred who has no external problems and no internal problems that can be discerned to the naked eye. So you think, why don't they choose like ordinary alcoholics who are neurotic and emotionally bankrupt and have wrecked relationships and can't turn up at work? Why not choose ordinary alcoholics? Why choose these freakazoids who are in no way representative of your average AA member in um, the high dungeon of early sobriety? It's because I think, just, I haven't got corroboration for this, I think what they want to do is to illustrate the fact the reason one returns to drinking is not because one is externally disordered or even internally disordered. It's reliance on self as opposed to God, which is the problem. And so you've got to strip away all of those other factors in order to reveal just one. And we'll come to what that one factor is. Our first example is a friend we should call Jim. This man has a charming wife and family. He inherited a lucrative automobile agency. He had a commendable world war record. He is a good salesman. Everybody likes him. He is an intelligent man. Normal so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition, whatever that means. He did know, maybe he jumps when you say boo, I just, uh, I don't know what that means. Anyway, he did know drinking until he was 35. In a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. So it's very clear, this is someone with no obvious external justification. We told him what we knew of alcoholism and the answer we had found. He made a beginning. So one assumes that he got some way through the steps. Uh, He made a beginning. His family was reassembled and he began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. Now, this is the interesting phrase. All went well for a time. And mark that phrase because an almost identical phrase is used with Fred's story as well, which I think enjoins us to see these in parallel. All went well for a time. I think in Fred's story, it's all was well, all went well for a time. So this is someone who's got very good, a very good baseline to work from. His external life is in order and everything's going great. Have you ever heard people at meetings say, I drank because, and then make a list? I drank on, and then list a the number of feelings. Now, that's, that may be true, in which case you fix the feelings, you're no longer alcoholic. Problem's gone.
0: Bye-bye, alcoholism.
2: This is the point they're making. It's not that. If it were that, it would be easy. Uh, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. If you want to know what that means, you go back to bottom of page 14. There are co- uh, this isn't Da Vinci Code stuff. This is just linking exact phrases which are the same. It talks there about uh, bottom of 14, top of 15 about Bill, uh, uh, that, uh, that we have to enlarge our spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others so that's what that's what this Jim didn't do is work and self-sacrifice for others he did the bit of the program which sorted his life out look family reassembled began to work he's done enough of the steps to sort himself out to sort himself out but he's not putting himself out for others. And so we're back to the people who come to you who, with 20 or 30 years of sobriety who've done the steps many times but are, are currently not sponsoring. They're in Jim's position. Doesn't say, how, doesn't say how long the time is for which all went well. Also interesting if you look at people who are um, pretty jiggered after many years having done the steps many times. The same thing, all went well for a while. Um, The other point, uh, which is terribly striking, is is if you want to know what Bill means when he says spiritual, you don't have to figure it out. You look at the other times he uses the word spiritual and look for evidence for what is meant. And in A Vision for You, uh, when they're telling the story in a sort of rather little bit of an Enid Blyton way, they're telling the story of, of Bill and Bob and they well, their new friends and all of that. It's all very 1930s. Um, and it said that, you know, the two pals saw that they had to become spirit, stay spiritually active. Now they don't head to the Bethel Green Buddhist Centre. They head to the hospital and find an alcoholic to work with. So when Bill talks about being spiritually active, he talks about this William James idea of carrying the spiritual awakening to other people, it's not one's own benefit. It's to fit oneself to be of use to others, with God as the ultimate principle, with you as the agent, uh, intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever advancing creation. Uh, so, um, where also this links into this idea that uh, having an ordinary good life is not going to, as Don Pritz says, having an ordinary good life is not going to cut it for an alcoholic. You need a higher mission. to his consternation he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession on each of these occasions we worked with him reviewing carefully what had happened he agreed he was a real alcoholic and in a serious condition so you systematically go through you have to go through the basics so do you get what an alcoholic is are you one good what's next what was what did your program he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on. Moreover, he would lose his family for whom he had a deep affection. I'm always suspicious in meetings when people say, I know, I know I'm not going to drink because I know how much I have to lose today. Or I'm grateful, therefore I'm not going to drink. Well, that's nice. But he, Fred is going to be grateful on page 41. Didn't do him any good. It's not a bad thing. And it certainly gratitude certainly neutralizes some of the whirling negativity, but it's not it's not the whole thing. Yet he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened. Now, people do skits on this. I'm not gonna name names. Um, um but they do skits trying to find evidence like orgias or forebodings that one might have that he's going to have a drink. And they, it goes like this. I came to work on Tuesday morning and then the commentator says, where were you on Monday, Jim? And I, I it was like, I don't think this, is, I don't think there are hidden meanings here. I think it's plain and on the surface on the previous page. And then they say, I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern. I once said, aha, he was resentful full um i've had resentful thoughts today hands up anyone okay look, can we just have a show of hands hands up who's had a resentful thought today just one there we go are you drunk no <laughs> if having a if having a bit of mild irrita- irritation got you drunk he would you know we'd all be drunk every day sorry if you've got a question No, I had a
0: resentful thought today. I was just raising
2: my (laughs) virtual hand. Bless you. Um, So that's, it's a red herring. This is an indication. This is someone with a normal range of human emotions. This is not someone who is dissociated. This is someone who's able to be, you know, like emotionally present in his life. He's having feelings which are congruous, congruent with his circumstances. This is not someone who is polyannishly psychotic. This is an ordinary person. The point of this is the ordinariness. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. Again, um, you know, I was tense with a couple of people today. This happens. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I mean, sometimes people, people say again, yeah, well, he went into a drinking place, you know. But, but the Sainsbury's, even the Turkish grocers nearby has now got a, a, a booze section. It didn't used to. So the point is, it, it's, this is he'd been there many times before. There's, what it says, I, which was familiar. If I'd been going to for years. So again, it's 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 not that he was in a drinking place, because he'd been going there a lot, and it was fine. There's no, there's no. There you go. I'd eaten there many times during the months I was sober. So that's not a clue either. If that was the re, if that was the clue, then he would have drunk the other times too. Um. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk, still no thought of drinking. Now, the the one, if you want to do a gimmick for the sponsee, what you do is you say, you get them to read out each phrase and describe whether Jim at this point is sane or insane. And I came to work on a Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for concern. I want to sane or insane. He's sane. That's not an insane thing to say. And it's the same all the way down. Perfectly sane, perfectly reasonable, perfectly rational. Still no thought of drinking. Sane. I ordered another sandwich and decided, I mean, American sandwiches. I mean, he might. There might be uh, an eating disorder here. But nonetheless, the idea of having two sandwiches in America, you know, it's not Greg's. Um, I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Still sane. And this is the point. The key word is suddenly. There were no trumpets. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. So you you say to the sponsor, he's sane or insane. They go, insane and this is the point Your thinking is sane, sane 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 insane as soon as you're insane you've now lost the faculty of discernment so the thing which could get you out of the insanity has been switched off that's the whole point you're now on the other side of the looking class Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde Mr Hyde does not want to turn back into Dr Jekyll he's fine as Mr Hyde um suddenly so there's no trumpets now the reason i think this is so important again it's something you hear a lot in meetings i've done these terrible things but i don't feel like drinking i'm not thinking about drinking so i'm pretty certain i'm going to get to bed tonight without a drink i remember a poor chap many years ago who uh one of my home groups who Always sat on the edge of his seat, a psychiatrist. He used to sit on the edge of his seat and always share first. And every day, every every meeting, he would share first and be visibly relieved and say, "Um, now I've got that off my chest, I feel a lot better. So I know I'm not going to drink tonight. I've kept myself sober for another day. And this worked every day until the day it didn't work. Um, So the fact that one doesn't want to drink is no indication that one's mind is not about to change. That's the whole point of suddenly. Um, And the other thing, Davinda always, I I love Davinda. He says, you know, we celebrate periods of continuous sobriety. That's what they always say at CHIPS meetings. So my home group is a CHIPS meeting. I I think it's a good thing. But they talk about these periods of continuous sobriety. He says, Davinda says, continuous sobriety doesn't keep you sober. The fact you've been continuously sober is no indication of whether you're going to remain sober because of the word suddenly. Whether or not suddenly is going to happen depends on your spiritual condition according to page 85 and the previous page. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, but felt reassured as I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into more milk. That didn't seem to bother me, so I'd like to ask his wife, but we don't have access to her at this point. That didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another. Here thus started one more journey to the asylum for Jim. Here was the threat of commitment, the loss of family and position to say nothing of that intense mental and physical suffering which drinking always caused him. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. How and, and so the insanity um, uh, it, It's interesting. People often t- try and uh, share about insanity and they talk about the things they did when they were drinking. And I don't know, I mean, that, that's an example of something. Maybe it's an example of drinking a lot. Uh, my non-alcoholic friends who, when they do drink too much, do kind of crazy things too. People I was at college with who drank too much, who weren't alcoholics, did crazy things when they were drunk. The insanity is when you're sober. It's not when you're drunk. It, the insanity is thinking a drink is a good idea and then following it through. Uh, which is, chi- I don't know if you've ever known people who are psychotic, but it can be chilling because it's a very similar sudden transition from a normal conversation to, and then they suddenly say, and yeah, I remember, you know, I remember someone saying at a meeting, they were sharing that, they were sharing perfectly normally and then said, and, you know, the devil has placed babies inside my stomach and I think they're going to hatch soon. And and you were like, and everyone jumps because you weren't expecting it. And then you realize the person was unwell the whole time. So the fact they were presenting on the surface as being someone whose cognition and perception and interpretation of reality was congruent with reality. There was no sign, but it was that it was there, the problem was there all along. It just boom, suddenly there it was on the surface. And I think alcoholism, my alcoholism is a bit like that. I I can seem perfectly normal until until you know the 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 alien head pops out of my chest. You may think this an extreme case. To us, it is not far-fetched. But this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. We have sometimes reflected more than Jim did on the consequences. But there was always... The, here we go. Uh, so this is almost like a se- se- second type of thinker. But there was always the curious mental phenomenon parallel with our sound reasoning. that inevit- I mean, he's got no sound reasoning. But they're introducing this idea you might have sound reasoning. you are inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. Next day, we'd ask ourselves, in all earnestness and sincerity, how it could have happened. And here we've got another type of character. In some circumstances, we've gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified by the nervousness, anger, worry, depression, uh, jealousy, or the like. Uh, so we, so we, we've got Jim, whose perception of reality is fundamentally disor- distorted. You've got this sort of this imaginary character here, uh, who's got parallel tracks, part of partly insane, partly sane. We've got
0: someone who apparently,
2: uh, I think this is described as pressing the epic reasoning for drinking, which where you're pointing to actual things happening in your life. Um, Now, this is going to need a bit of peddling um, for for some sponsors. Even in this type of beginning, we're obliged to admit that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what always happened. Now, frankly, as I said earlier, most people I sponsor, they didn't have catastrophic consequences every time they drank. Um, It's the fact one is drinking at all is the problem. It's the drip, drip attrition of drinking over years for most people, which is causing the Is It's not the specific events which flow from a specific bout. Um, and it's in the light of that, that uh, it's insane. Not necessarily in the light of a specific bout. Because it is true that you, if you go into, if you have a few drinks go into blackout, you will temporarily, Relieve yourself of the anger, the worry, the depression, jealousy. That's not insane. But if you look at, across your life, this is the test I give people when they cite these reasons, and the, this is pretty much the list actually nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy. I say, at the end of your drinking, were those conditions worse than at the beginning of your drinking? The answer is always yes. So, your solution, this is the man with the hammer, your solution is actually making the problem worse or at least running in parallel to the problems getting worse. We now see that when we began to drink deliberately instead of casually, it was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences might be. So now we've got our next signal example. Our behaviour is, is, is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that of an individual with a passion, safer for jaywalk, He gets a thrill out of skipping in front of fast-moving vehicles, enjoys himself for a few years in spite of friendly warnings. Up to this point, you would label him as a foolish chap, having queer ideas of fun. Luck then deserts him, and he's slightly injured several times in succession. You would expect him, if he were normal, to cut it out. Presently, is hit again, and this time he has a fractured skull. Within a week of leaving the hospital, a fast-moving trolley car. You'll have to draw a picture of that for your sponsor. They won't know what one of those is. He tells you he has decided to stop jaywalking for good, but in a few weeks, breaks both legs. On through the years, this conduct continues, accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets altogether. Finally, he can no longer work. His wife gets a divorce and he is held up to ridicule. He tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. He shuts himself up in an asylum, hoping to mend his ways. But the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine which breaks his neck. Such a man would be crazy, wouldn't he? So now we've already seen this. Actually, I'm going to read the next paragraph first before I make a point. You may think our illustration is too ridiculous, but is it? We, who have been through the ringer, have to admit if we substituted alcoholism for jaywalking, the illustration would fit us exactly. However intelligent we may have been in other respects, where alcohol has been involved, we have been strangely insane. It's strong language, but isn't it true? Now, we've seen this character before. It's the man with the hammer. It's exactly the same. It's almost exactly the same example. There's a benefit for the man with the hammer. There's a benefit, which is relief from the headache. But there's a cost, which is the, the cure makes the problem worse. Here, the benefit is the same. The cost outweighs the benefit. But in the moment of decision, of decision in inverted commas, he can't see it. Uh, so if you, you substitute thrill for relief, the stories are the same. It's the appalling lack of perspective from page five. So I won't belabor that any longer. It's a fairly straightforward example. There's one, actually, one point actually from the previous page. Um,
0: okay, you said, um, peculiar mental
2: twist. Uh, now, Bill doesn't link peculiar mental twist to Jim, but Jim is the next example after that. Um, in Jim's story, this whiskey in the milk thing is like a twist in reality. It's a lie. Later on, it says, uh, blank spot, strange mental blank spot. And it's very interesting that the next example after that is Fred, who, uh, I'm going to scoot ahead just one particular line to make this point. Where he says, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all nothing more. I ordered a cocktail and my meal. First cocktail. Then I ordered another cocktail. Second cocktail. His thought that he was going to have a couple of cocktails with dinner, a couple is two, is accurate. There isn't a twist in reality, there is a gap in reality. The gap in reality is the observation that it's not gonna stop at two, he's gonna carry on drinking afterwards. So we've got a good illustration here of your two basic characters, Jim, um, uh, peculiar mental twist, his perception of reality is distorted, his magical thinking. With Fred, there is a hole in reality where the information is being deleted or suppressed. Strange mental blank spot. And I think I neatly covers it. Anyway, um, I'm just going to fix where we stopped, where we're stopping. Uh, and it's Alistair, it's going to be there, but isn't it true? Because it's one minute to eight. So I'm going to stop there. Thank you for listening.
1: Thank you, Tim. Uh, seems a good, appropriate places to stop um i will drop into the uh, chat now there's a link to um a google drive that has a recording of uh, we'll have the recording of this meeting and previous recordings and um with that i'll hand back to you tim and ask you to close in the usual way thank you um yes would you please help me
2: close with the serenity prayer using the word god as you do about understand it um god
1: God, grant me serenity, accept the things I cannot, so things I cannot, I cannot change, courage to change things, things, I, can. things like yeah. I can, and the wisdom to know the difference.
2: Thank you, Tim.
0: Thank Thanks, for Thank everyone. everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone.